Welcome to Equipus Church, Dunedin. We hope you enjoy this message recorded live at our city campus. For more information, check out equipuschurch.com. So, um, but how are, we, how are we doing? We good? Hey, why don't you stay standing? Hey, let's, um, let's pray before we go to the Word of God, because I need help talking, and you need help listening and understanding, and we all need help, and we need the Holy Spirit to help us, because otherwise this is a, you're going to get like a 35-minute lecture, um, and I'm not a lecturer, and if you're at university, this is not that, this is church, and we need the Holy Spirit to, you know, interpret, and there's something more going on than just a bunch of people in a room, and so for us, come on, just for a moment, maybe you need to close your eyes or lift a hand or whatever that looks like. I'm just conscious that even this week, people have come in and you've had things happen this week and maybe some highs, maybe some lows, some wins and some losses and whatever that looks like. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here in the room now. We've lifted your name up and we've worshipped you. And Lord, now it's time for us to just be fed by your word, to be encouraged, as Pastor Will said. To, Lord, that you would again, just in a way, lift our spirits in a way that only you can do. You know us, you locate us. And as we open up your word, Lord, we just again lay our lives afresh before you, recognizing that it's only you that can deal with the condition of our heart. And so, Father, we just thank you and we embrace all that you are this morning. Whether we've known you a few days or whether we've known you many years, I thank you that you're very personal. And Lord, would you touch every life this morning in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And we all together said, amen, amen. Awesome. Take a seat. High five your neighbor. Give them a fist pump. So, so good to have you here this morning. I'm just going to comment on it. Is I've, I've, I got here yesterday morning, and I'm still slowly warming up. Uh, my toes are still, yeah, that's right. I'm from Auckland, down. I'm cold, okay? So let's just get that out of the way to start with. But uh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for uh, embracing me, and it's always nice to be welcomed back to a place. So you haven't said something that inappropriate that you didn't get invited back another year. So I really... I appreciate that uh, I'm here today. And as Pastor Will said, he and Desiree and their family are just wonderful friends of ours, uh, my wife, Fee, and I, and have been for, uh, we said many years, it's got to be over 20 years, or about 20 years probably that we've known them. And we were just a couple of crazy kids back in the day. And now we're all older and more serious with much more responsibility. And so hopefully this morning we can um, not be too responsible in what we say, but um, it's so good to have them. They're great pastors, great leaders, and great friends. And thank you so much for being friends with us. We've benefited greatly from your wisdom and your love and your comfort. And so we appreciate you guys greatly. Um, my family, I am married. Uh, I've got photos, just evidence, because often people don't think that's the case. And so uh, this is, uh, this is well, that's a photo of me and my wife. That's kind of, that's like our best version of ourselves. Do you know what I mean? There was a photo like I was going to pick of us on the couch with our track pants on, just kind of like, uh, you know, sometimes I just think we should put that one up too, because that's probably more us, but this was us dressed up for a function we had a few weeks ago. And then I've got got children as well. Uh, So that's our family, three boys uh, at various ages and various heights, and uh, they all eat lots of food. And we we never used to be that much, because they're not huge, but um, they are starting to eat a lot more food. And so uh, our bills, um, we got to about 9.30 the other night. I'm watching the Warriors, a big Warriors fan, by the way, up the Warriors. And, uh, and I was watching it, and, and I had to pause it because I had to pick kids up from youth and come back. And I'd pause it. It was about 10 o'clock at night. 
And my middle son was like, man, dad, I'm hungry. And I'm like, we just smashed like three burgers for dinner. And then he got, proceeded to get mints out. And he had mints on three bits of toast, you know, at like 10 o'clock at night. And then again, he's still like, you know, when they open the pantry and they're like, there's anything in there and there's no food. I'm like, I literally went shopping today. So there's enough food. And that's the phase that we're in at the moment. So, um, but cool to be here and um, cool to meet some new people. Cool to see some faces that have been here a while. Um, but today I've, thought long and hard about what I want to say, and in my kind of, I'm 47 years old, and in my 47 years, I have realized a few things, because you, you start to have a little bit of life about you. There's some things that you've been through, and I like to think of my life, the stage is like a spectrum of our life, and so this is my sort of journey of faith, and you know, in life, we kind of walk through this journey with God, and maybe again, that's a few days for you, and maybe that's a few years, whatever, but there's a point where, you know, the Apostle Paul says, you know, the str- we strive for perfection, but we're only going to get there when we, re- when we meet Jesus. And so that's the kind of the end goal. And we can often sort of be in this place where you can be a bit frustrated with where you're at. I want to always move forward maybe quicker because I'm really impatient with things. I get bored with things really quickly. And then sometimes it's the good challenge for us to kind of recognize I'm not, you know, where I want to be, but I'm also look back and I go, I'm not where I was though. And, but, but in life, you know, so often the challenge for all of us is like, we, we, I think we're really good people. You know, maybe not that guy back there, but I think, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's like, is it me? Is it you? No, we're all good people, and I think we genuinely want to do the right thing, and I think we genuinely want to, you know, serve God, and we want to make a difference in our world, but we do struggle with the, the, the kind of issues of life. And if we don't kind of talk about some of those things, if we don't maybe address some of those things or have a conversation about them, then, then, then all the good things that we want to do for God, we kind of get blindsided by things that happen in our world. And I want to just touch on some of those things that happen to us in life, because how many have had some life things happen to you? Lift your hand if you, yeah. How many had some things where you just thought, I didn't see that one coming? Maybe it's grief or loss or disappointment or pain or hurt, or even this morning, I feel like as I walked in, there are people that have experienced significant pain in their world. And you're coming in and, and, and maybe you don't, maybe you're thinking, oh, it's just another Sunday, but I'm in church. But maybe this is the Sunday God says, I'm going to really deal with that. But it's about you wanting to say, God, I need to be healed in this because I recognize that if I'm going to make a difference in my world, then first that he needs to make a difference in your heart, right? He needs to make a difference in your heart and you've got to allow him to do that. And, and, you know, we talk a lot about things like wisdom and, okay, we need wisdom for everything. Like, I don't need a show of hands for that. But, but in Matthew 7, you know, remember the song? The wise man builds his house upon the... Right, yeah, come on, help me out. The rock, you know, the wise man builds his house upon the rock. So this is, this is about Matthew 7, the scriptures, are, you can see them. But Matthew 7 is about the wise man builds his house upon the rock. So it's not the wise man who knows a whole bunch of scripture. It's the person who knows scripture and understands it and then actually puts it into practice. Like the person who, who does something with it. That's being wise. So that when the storms in life come and when the storms come, we go, ah, oh, I've got some context for that and some understanding so that my life is not going to be completely, you know, I'm not going to fall apart on the day of adversity. Is everyone with me? You're a bit quiet this morning. I know it's cold. I'm cold too, but I'm trying to warm myself up as well. But I'm sort of moving around a lot. And, and, so, and so, so conversely, we're foolish if we can say, hey, I know a whole bunch of Scripture. We're foolish if we say, I've been a Christian for 22 years but I've never done anything with the Word of God. That's a, that's a shaky foundation. So that means when the storms come, and they will, 
If you haven't yet, then, then grow up a few more years and you'll realize something will happen that again will bring you to your knees and you're going to have to know what does the Word of God say and what have I been doing? What foundation have I been building? Because that's not on God, that's on us. Like that's the us part of the gospel. As God says, hey, it's all there in the Word. The Scripture, the bread of life is there, but it's for us to actually go, what foundation are we building on? How are we doing something with the Word of God? That's why I love that you've come to church today. Because you've probably, hopefully, read something about actually the gathering of, don't neglect what we do here. This is, a, this is a good thing. And maybe you feel like, oh, I've just turned up and whatever, and maybe I'm only here for a few months. But hey, you're in church. So we need to celebrate. That's a win. Yay. Everything that you've been through this last week, you go, you know what? I still turned up to church. That's helping to build a solid foundation. Being around people. It's so easy not to be here. I feel like I'm getting off track already, and I'm going to stay focused. But it's so easy to do so many other things on Sunday. Now, attending Sunday church and salvation, are they linked? Not really. You can, be, you can still, I think, go to heaven without attending church on a Sunday and loving Jesus and accepting him and saying a prayer of repentance. So you can do all that. But I don't think it's your best life either. Because I find it really hard. I think God wired us interdependent on one another. So, so, so I need you to help me with my journey, and you need my help to help you with your journey. And that's so unique about God and so unique about Christianity. So let me give you a couple of scriptures. Psalm 34, 8 says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. If, if you're feeling brokenhearted this morning, if you're feeling like your spirit is crushed, I want to say there's joy in knowing that God is close to you. That's, again, it's, such a, it's so weird to kind of God's kingdom is so upside down. Because in the world, if we have pain and suffering, it's like, oh, that's it. There's no hope coming, but yet God says he's close to us. In Ecclesiastes 2, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. So what? Like, he's saying, oh, it's better to go to a house of mourning where there's loss than, than feast. And we think, but feasting, but this feasting is not like just having food together. It's not fellowship that we talk about. It's, it's more revelry. It's more this sort of hedonistic idea of going out and getting hammered. And he's saying, listening, talking about it's better to go to a house of mourning. It's better to, for death is the destiny of everyone and the living should take this to heart. So this whole, most scholars would say this whole passage is about, we've got to, got to talk about mourning and suffering and pain and hurt and loss because these are the things that in the spectrum of a life we're going to experience kind of all the time. This is the world that we live in. And so it's okay to talk about some of these things rather than simply the reverie and the hedonism and the other side of it where you're saying that's not going to help you. And, w- and wise people understand these things. Um, I don't know if you've read the, the classic Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, but one of the habits was start with the end in mind. Stephen Covey has a great way of putting language to the things that we think intuitively. So I often think about my funeral, which sounds whatever it sounds like, but I do, I think, man, what would people say about me? What would they say? What are the kind of things that I'm trying to work back from there? What are the things that I really want people to say? I'd hope they say something about, man, Jake made a deposit in my life that really helped me. Man, Jake was there in my lowest moment, and he supported me through a really tough time. I'd hope that people would say things like me. So I work back from that, and I go, well, how can I do be that kind of person now? And um, I love this thought, grieving with a sober heart, however, orients us to the things of God in a way that celebration can't. There's something about pain and there's something about hurt 
that connects us to God in such a powerful way. We had someone worship lead the other day and they'd gone through stuff in the week and I remember they, they got rostered on really late. And do you know, they get up on stage after going through a really tough thing and really choosing to stay and fight through this thing. And do you know what? Their worship leading was the most amazing it's ever been. So there's something connected to, man, that though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no. There's something about these verses that we love and that we want to be that person, but we've got to deal with these things that happen in life. Herman Melville, who, who the famous author, these references all get older as you age, but he wrote Moby Dick, if you know the reference, the Moby Dick, famous, really, really famous novel. And, and, he, and Herman Melville, in his other book, Redbird, says this, not till we know that one grief outweighs 10,000 joys will we become what Christianity is striving to make us. Man, could one grief outweigh 10,000 joys? And we read it and we go, no. Because there's a real danger here that we are glib about pain. There's a danger that we go, oh, hey. Now, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying the Bible talks a lot about it. If God is close to the brokenhearted, we need to understand how. Like, how, God, are you there for me? And how can I connect that to my pain and my hurt? There's a book called Anti-Fragile. It's a really interesting guy, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. And he says there's an idea, an object, there's the book, an idea, sorry, an object or idea which is fragile collapses easily under stress. And one which is resilient is able to resist outside stress and survive. However, an object is anti-fragile if it actually becomes stronger with outside stress. So there's a point where external things can actually, that, that happen to us, can actually make us stronger. This is even a secular school of thought. So kind of everybody agrees, actually, if we know how to connect these dots here, God's actually making a point that, man, this will make you even stronger if you choose to stay and fight and work with people and understand what God's trying to do. So, and in Christianity, I mean, Tim Keller used to say this all the time, that Christianity has kind of unrivaled resources for this particular area that I want to kind of go through. But I want to open our Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, if you can. And, and it's going to be on screen as I subtly drink. Mark chapter 5. So this is, I'm going to read a little bit of Scripture, maybe 20 verses, 22 to 42. It is exactly 20. Okay, so uh, Mark 5, 22. It says, Then the leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with them. And everyone followed. Why wouldn't they? Oh, Jesus is going to heal someone. Like, I'd be following. Crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She'd suffered a great deal. Listen, she'd suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she'd gotten no better. So this woman, again, was not only in physical pain for 12 years, She's in, she's in emotional pain because she's isolated from the community for 12 years. It says doctors misdiagnosed it. She's got that kind of pain going on too, where she knew something was going on, but they're like, nah. And so she's in a whole world of hurt here. And she's gotten no better. She'd heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him. Why? Because you'd be desperate by this point, wouldn't you? Through the crowd, touched his robe, for she thought, if I could just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she, could feel, uh, and she could feel in her body that she'd been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that the healing power had gone out. So he turns around and says, who touched me? The disciples said, look, the crowd's pressing in, man, like there's 50, 100 people here. But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling 
at the realization of what had happened, came and fell at her knees in front of him and told her what he'd done. And he says to her, daughter, don't you love that? It's just so gentle. It's so Jesus, like daughter. He says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he's still speaking, messengers arrived. So they told him, oh, Jesus, don't worry. Don't rush anymore. The girl is dead. There's no use troubling him. Jesus overheard them and said, no, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Right? So if something's happened to you now, Jesus, I, st- I think we'd still say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Have faith. Now, you know, the faith is not in the outcome. The faith is in Jesus. I think it's really important to know that. So, so don't be afraid. Just have faith. I had faith that didn't happen. But that doesn't mean that you don't have faith. The faith is in Jesus. My faith is in Jesus no matter what. No matter what happens in my world, my faith is in Him. And really important, someone just say amen. Because we've got to know that our faith is in Jesus. Right. So Jesus stopped the crowd. He wouldn't let anyone go in. So he arrives at the house, except Peter, James, and John. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. There's pain, right? There's weeping and there's wailing. So there's the sense of this deep grief of, oh, my gosh. He went inside and asked, why is all the commotion? Why the weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. Again, only Jesus can say this stuff. We don't say this stuff. Right? Hey, man, it's all good. It's going to work out. God's good. No, don't be an egg. Right? Don't say stuff like that. We're human. Let's give each other a little bit of grace. We're trying. But only Jesus can say she's sleeping. I think he makes the point. He has the authority over death. We don't. So sometimes I think we just got to be careful what we say. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and the three disciples in the room. And this is just this precious moment. Verse 41, holding her hand, says to her, Talitha Kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. And they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. So there's just so much going on in this. And, and we'll all read that and go, man. And I don't know whether this touches on your pain. There might be pain where you go, yeah, I, I went through some of that. There might be pain this morning where you go, I was misdiagnosed. I've, I've experienced loss. Yeah, I've been hurt. I've, I may be dealing with pain for 12 years. Maybe you're here and you go, and no one really knows about it, and I come in every Sunday and I go, and we say, hey, welcome people, and you go, I hope someone will talk to me today. And, and, and you don't have the confidence to talk to somebody else because all you can think about is your pain and all you can think about is the stuff that you're going through. That might be you today. And you look at that and you'll, you'll appropriate some bit of Scripture and go, yeah, that's probably me there because there's so much that happens here. But the thing with pain is it, pain leaves you changed like in some way. It, it doesn't leave you unchanged. So either you either the pain kind of makes you stronger or it kind of renders you weaker. It doesn't, but it, it's not just static. It changes you in some way. It either, it either makes, you put either a crust around your heart and you say, that's it. I'm not going to either trust again or I'm not going to do this again or step out in faith again. Or it has the opposite effect where actually, man, God was with me through this whole moment and he was there and I love him even more. So here's what we have with Christianity if you kind of didn't know or maybe you're new to it or maybe you haven't been to church before and you decided to rock up today or maybe you don't know Jesus or you're from a different religion. That's cool that you're here. But here's, let me give you some kind of context for other religions. If you are from like a karmic religion, so like Hinduism and, you know, Pastor Will and I have been to India many times and you start to kind of understand Hindu culture a little bit more and, and what they're facing. And in karmic culture, you know, there's this sense that 
if you do good in this life, you're going to be reincarnated even better. And so you're going to be a better version of yourself in the next life. And so when things happen to people in this world, in karma cultures, they say, ah, clearly you made a lot of mistakes in your previous life, and that's why that's happening to you now, right? So you, so pretty hard place to live in, because what do you do with that? Yeah, I did. I made a lot of mistakes. And now you're thinking, how many mistakes? So when they come to the temple and they sacrifice, they're doing it out of fear, because they go, if I don't do this, karma's all about that. If I don't do that, then I'm so terrified about these gods. When, and when you see these gods, their faces, like that's terrifying. Now, I know they're made of stone, but even so, I'm like, uh -huh. like they're just, so if you believe that and you see these horrible gods, you're going to be terrified. If, if, if you're from a Buddhist background, and you would understand the suffering and rebirth. That's what you kind of need to understand in order to get enlightenment. And so, so you're kind of trying to understand actually no peace and love. And there's a sense of this, 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 this kind of ongoing rebirth. And then eventually one day you'll become a dew drop in the ocean. And I go, cool, but doesn't help me with the thing that I'm facing right now. Some believe that we're going to live with our ancestors. So again, the gospel is really hard to kind of reach into to like a culture like Japan, where if, if you're in a Japanese culture and you pass away, you want to live with your ancestors. That's the most important thing. The Christianity, right? We go and they say to us, oh, cool. I'll have your religion. Man, if I could live with my ancestors one day. And we go, you, you may live with them, but you may not. And they're like, oh, I don't want it then if I can't live with them because it's really important in my culture. How do you reach a people like that? Or what about honor and shame culture? You know, so you do something, you shame your family, you're left with that. You're the outcast of the family. You're the one that maybe had kids before marriage and all of a sudden the family's like, no, that's it. We're always going to taint you with that brush. And so how do you live with that sort of stuff? Those kinds of things where you feel like, yeah, I've made mistakes. But man, you can't keep me there too. And they're like, we can You've brought shame on our family, and that's the most important thing to us. So people might understand this from different perspectives. The challenge with all these things, though, is that these all require, these are all things that are like outside of the material world. You can't, there's nothing within this world that can help you with all of those things I talked about. You're, like you're stuck with that pain. There's no external force that can come down and help you with that. So that's why in those religions, again, and I'm not trying to disrespect them, I'm just saying that's what they are. But Christianity is different for us. It's different. So, again, if it was, if it was Madonna, what would she say? You know, we're living in a material world, and I'm a material girl, right? <laughs> yeah, us old people have got some jokes too. <laughs> so she would say, I'm just a material girl living in a material, like that's it. That's all. Everything I can touch and see, like that's all that's going on. And I go, well, how do you deal with your pain and your suffering then? Because there's nothing, there's no one else to come and help you. Secularism is the same. Secularism is this, like there's no God. So secularism is like, I mean, communism was coming to combat secularism. Like, no, we're done with the church and state thing and everything that now, and now we're going to create a new regime. There is no God, there's simply the state. And well, we can't really know. Everything has a natural cause to it. Well, it's just like evolutionary biology. So that's fine. We're just all. And then people look at it, and they go, evolutionary biology is beautiful. I, I find God in nature, and I go, cool, same. But then I watch Animal Planet, and I see animals being slaughtered by other animals, and I go, yeah, yeah, it's pretty brutal. Like, if that's us, then we're the same, then we should just slaughter each other, and no one should care, because it's just evolutionary biology. But, but we do care. 
right? We do care, and we do go, no, no, but not that thing. No, not like that. Well, you kind of can't have that and not that. So we've got these challenges. So meaning has to be derived from inside the world in these other religions. You've got to find meaning and context in that world. I know I'm setting a bit of a scene and I'm laboring it, but that's a hard place to be. Because if I find meaning in suffering, then I go, when I, some of you know when I was 17, I had this cardiac arrest and I, I died for like 15 minutes, right? And, and it was crazy. And how do I make meaning of that? If I did pass away, how does my family make meaning of that? Oh, well, God, God's still good. I mean, they don't even believe in God, my family. But it's just, you're just left with this pain and hurt forever. So there's, there's some answers around. So if we're looking for an answer to pain and suffering in this world, we're going to really struggle with that. Paul Brand, who was this amazing missionary, his, he was sort of raised in India. He was a child of missionary parents, uh, kind of a famous, well-known missionary surgeon and just an amazing character. And some of you might know Dr. Paul Brand and He's written some books. He, he says this. He says the most, the most. So he spent half his life, surgical life in India, and half in America. Right, so you've got two different perspectives on pain, I guess. And he said the most problematic aspect of creation is the existence of pain. He says, he says pain was not antithetical to life, so it's not kind of opposed or opposite, but a, but, but a requirement for it. He says, God designed the human body so that it is able to survive because of pain. How's that? So we're able to survive because of pain, right? So he said people, when he was in the U.S., people in the U.S. tried to avoid pain at all cost and lived in a far greater comfort than anyone I've ever treated, but they were far less equipped to handle suffering and far more traumatized from it. So it's like the increase in comfort that we have, the less likely we're able to face the tough things that are going on in our world. He wrote a book with Philip Yancey. Some of you know Philip Yancey. What's so amazing about grace? Philip Yancey wrote some amazing things. And they wrote a book together, Pain, the Gift That Nobody Wants. And I'd add the, and the book that nobody really wants to read, probably. Who's going to pick up that? Hey, anybody got a good book on pain? Anybody had some pain? I want to, yeah, pain. <laughs> Sorry, Raquel, I'm looking at you like, anybody want to go to the dentist and go, yes, awesome. Pain here, pain in my wallet, pain everywhere. <laughs> but now no pain, so, you know, which, which she would say if she was here on stage as well, but then you have no pain afterwards, so. So pain is interesting. My sister, you know, when we, we had these floods in, in Auckland in February, and then they had them massively in the Hawke's Bay and still suffering from them now. And uh, by the way, our church in the Hawke's Bay in Napier won a community award for care and response. Thank you, guys. Help me out. Anyway, that's, yep. I thought it was amazing. So my sister, though, she, her house is in Muriwai, so they are in West Auckland. She kind of lives on a cliff, and they got really hammered. So her house was, was sort of kind of red-stickered for a while before the stickering system kind of changed, and so they couldn't go into the house because it was, the whole slope was, they would, you know, measure it every year, and it was on an angle, and it was just dangerous to be in there. So they lived on a street where the two firemen died, where the house collapsed on them. And so they had to move into town. And then their business, they've got a business, a nuts and bolts kind of business, and it's in Wairau Park in North Shore. And Wairau Park, if you, if you know the terrain, kind of comes down, there's these big kind of culverts, but Wairau Park flooded massively. So their business was flooded up to a meter in water. Their home is partially destroyed. And she rings me, and none of my family are saved. And she rings me one day, and she says, oh, Jake, do you reckon you could come out on Friday and just 
hang out. I said, yeah, of course. She'd come into the office and just, and I, I often bring donuts into her office and their workplace for their workers. And I just, because I like to think I'm the pastor of her workplace, you know. And I'm like, you guys, you know what you need? You don't need another salesman. You need a minister in here. And so I've taken on the mantle of being the minister for that workplace. And they love it when I come in and I'm like bringing joy, you know, sprinkling fairy dust around. Just what I do. Just, oh, Jake, it's Joy Jake. He's turned up. Yay. You know, and donuts and all this. And, but I turned up and I had a coffee with my sister. And she said, and she's emotional. She's crying. And she's like, Jake, I, she goes, man, the house. And like they've been hit on multiple fronts. And she says to me, she goes, Jake, I feel like I, feel like I can't breathe. Like, like there's no, again, I've given you this whole context. There's nowhere for her to go with this pain. There's no way to understand it for her. She's like, I can't breathe. And what does she do? She rings me as the only Christian she really knows, who's also a family member, who can sit with her and just help her breathe. Now, that's cool because that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's the impact that we can make in our world. That's why we can live with pain and not let it defeat us, but actually there's a joy about us. There's a sense of, no, we're above this thing. We understand because we don't try and get context, pain and context in our natural world because we know that's not going to help us. And so she rings me. Why? Because she goes, I don't know why. I just feel like you need to come. And, and so I sat with her and I said, I've been praying for you. And so she knows. And often on Friday, I'll, I'll ring her and I'll just hang out. We'll have coffee and I'll just... And she just breathes because she stresses out about all these things. And I'm like, don't let it defeat you. So for us, here's some things that Christianity can help us with. You can't say to people, just harden up. It's not going to help anybody. Sometimes we can get frustrated because the pain that people are going through, say, it's, say, it's te- say you're a teenager in here, and I don't know, you've got a girl that you like and whatever, and it doesn't work out. And you, you're just distraught. And I go, I'm thinking, right, it's really not going to destroy you. Like, trust me, she's not the one. Right? This is me, Dad, saying to say, she won't be the one. And you're not having a girlfriend until you're, like, way older anyway, right? That's what I would say. However, right, however, that's the biggest thing going on in their world at that time. That is the biggest thing. So we can't say to people hard enough, we don't know their situation. Right? We can't just simply deal with that. Right? But Christianity pioneers this this grief that doesn't destroy us. It pioneers a grief that doesn't destroy us. The woman with the issue of blood, she should never have touched Jesus in that culture. And yet he talks to her suffering. He talks directly to her suffering. He doesn't say, hey, it's all right, harden up. He, he's saying, I see you, right? If you're South African here and you say, Saubona, and they go, yebo Saubona. I, I, the, the welcome is, I see you. And then they say, yeah, well, yes, and I see you. And it's like, not only do I say, hi, Desiree. It's like, no, I see you. I know your pain and your hurt. We've been friends for 20 years. I know what's going on. And when I see you, it's much more than just like, hey, how you doing? And that's what God, he sees our pain and his suffering and he's there with us. And so he says, in verse 34, I see your suffering and your suffering is over. And he acknowledges it. And I think it's cool to acknowledge that. It's cool to acknowledge where people are at. Isaiah 53 Listen, to, this, is, this is Jesus. Isaiah was a messianic, we don't have time, but Isaiah was this major prophet of the Bible in the Old Testament. Talks about the coming of Jesus. That's what messianic means. He was talking about the Messiah, the anointed one that was going to save Israel. Right? And he says, 1,500 years before Jesus, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As we hid, as it were, our faces from him, he was despised and we did not esteem him. You see, we, we serve 
the man of sorrow is Jesus. That's what he was called. We, 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 there was people like Jeremiah who was called the weeping prophet. So to say that Jesus doesn't care or to say that he's not there, no, 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 he cares. He understood sorrow. He understood grief. He understood pain. It was the opposite of stoicism. Being stoic is like, nah, come on, let's go. And again, you just can't say that to people and expect them just suddenly to move on and go, cool. You lose someone, you can't just say, come on, man, let's just go, though. Yeah, but God is good. Yeah, we know all that stuff. That's got to be a baseline assumption. God is good. Yeah, he doesn't need to be told. He knows it. But we need to be good. And I think we need to be better at walking with people and maybe coming back a bit and walking with them. Our job as pastors, and I say that for all of us because we're all ministers in the new covenant, is to get our arms around people and walk with them and journey with them through this stuff. So we've got to understand that. Do you know one of the main reasons, this is crazy, why Christianity replaced pagan culture so quickly is because there was a context for pain. So Christianity spread again throughout the Mediterranean. But there was an understanding that, man, for the first time, People are recognizing that there is pain that I go through, but there's answers for it. That's why it spread, and that's why it should spread in our communities. Because we should be able to give an answer to people like my sister. Think about the person in your world that's going through stuff, and think about the fact that you have answers for that. You've got context for that. You can sit and just help people breathe through some of these things. We serve a God who suffers. No other religion, no other deity did that. Why? Because they were always transcendent. They were always above this stuff. And God sends Jesus from heaven to earth. He came to earth with us. He was in the boat. I feel like I'm talking to myself. He was in the boat with the disciples. So when you go through stuff, he was there. Where is God? There in the boat, right there the whole time. You just got to know how to access him. And again, wisdom is building that foundation to say, man, the Bible talks a lot about this. We've got to understand it and then put it into practice. People can help us with this. Who's in the room that you can go, I need help? When we talk about things like e-groups, I feel like I'm shouting at you. When we talk about things like e-groups, we're not doing it because we go, oh, look how many e-groups we got. We're doing it because you need help. Because you're stuck, just like I am. So my e-group, I just canvass them about my next message. Hey, guys, what do you think of this? And they go, oh, that's crap. And I go, okay, we'll refigure it. Like you talked about that last week. Oh, okay. But I need their help. And, when I, and, I can, and I can share with my e-group. I'm the pastor of the church that they go to. But I still share stuff because I go, it's safe. I love these guys. And they go, right, when it sucks, Jake, we're going to pray. And then when they're there on Sunday and I'm preaching and they look at me and they're like, come on. Yeah, my little cheerleaders. And they go, yeah, we talked about this and we prayed. And look at us now. But we know each other. That's so bonnet. I see you. Right. After death, Jesus comes back. He's personal. He ate fish. So we have hope that knowing that actually this is not the end as well. The resurrection, we get our bodies back. We're not these otherworldly kind of floating beings. You know, people think that's what we're going to be like. No, the Bible's real clear. We come back with bodies. We'll know each other. Jesus, we'll eat fish together. Like, this is what we'll do. If you don't want fish, we'll eat steak together. Whatever it is. It's heaven, man. It's going to be perfect. Whatever you want. You can eat it. So Christianity pioneers a suffering that doesn't destroy us. Christianity also believes, maybe the band can come up because I want to close. Christianity, thanks guys, believes that the suffering is unjust, and I think this is important. Again, if we talk about different religions, they'll say, well, that's justified. That's totally justified. 
right? If somebody ever says, oh, these things are happening to you because of something that you've done, if that's a church, a pastor will ever preach that, leave this church. That's false. That's, that's heresy. It's not true. It's not because of anything that you've done. It's because we live in a fallen world. We walked away from God and stuff happens now and that's the world that we're in. It's not true to think that somehow I've done something and that. That's why people struggle to turn up to church. That's why all these empty seats are here. Because pe people are worried that when they come back in the door, people, we're all going to think, oh, fine, look who decided to turn up. Hey, old Mr. Sinful. We're so terrified that somehow we think that. What do we do? But normally we, they come in and we go, yay. There was a couple that came to our church the other week. They'd gone through a tough time. And I just, I don't know, there was a bit, I just went, yes, you did it. You made it. And I hugged them both. I'm like, yes. And I'm a bit embarrassed, but I'm like, you're here. So good. Next week they're not there. I'm like, that's okay. Because they're going to come back again. And I'm like, yes, you made it again. Like that's the kind of family that we need to be. The story of Job in the Old Testament. Job, all the stuff happens to him. And he had these mates. Oh, Job, it's because of this. It's because. And God basically says, shut up. By the end of it, you read it, God's pretty much like, no, you idiots. It's not because of what Job did. Job was righteous. It's not because of what we've done. But don't have friends that say stuff like that, man. They're not friends. It's just rubbish. And we can't create some sort of theology around that stuff. There's nothing that the Bible talks about about that. And finally, Christianity says suffering is never hopeless. And I want this message to be one of joy. Because hopefully you walk away today going, man, I feel like, yeah, I'm understood, the stuff that I'm going through. But also I don't have to stay there. I don't have to live there. I don't have to just dwell there the whole time. And I may, I may take a while to take a few steps forward, but that's okay too. Like it might take me some time. I celebrate in our church all the time that people turn up. You could be one of 50 different places this morning. You decided to turn up here three sisters from TC. You guys could have been any places. And I know where they live because they live near me. East Auckland, I'm South Auckland. It's a bit of a thing, but you know, we'll get over it. But I know some of their teachers. You know? And then we turn up and I go, oh, cool that these guys are here. Hopefully they walk away going, man, someone knew me. They know people that I know. And these three, sorry to embarrass you guys, they might go, oh, man, we're going through some stuff, but actually we decided to come today. And then this guy, Jake, who says a whole bunch of stuff and talk really fast. Yeah, he knew us. He knew where we're from. Even in the midst of everything that we go through, there's people that are there. You know, and we've just got to be the people that continue to turn up. And so, back to our story, we're finished with this. Jesus, he stops for the woman with the issue of blood, but not for the little girl. Now, this is where it gets confusing, because I don't know why he did that. I don't think any of us do. Why would he stop for the, 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 the arguably the lesser and urgent issue? Like the girl's dying, this woman's suffering 12 years. She probably can suffer 12 years in two days. Nothing's really going to change. But yet he deals with her. He says, I see you're suffering. And then walks on to the little girl. Like, what's he thinking? The disciples are probably like, Jesus, like, we've got we've to go. There's someone dying. And I don't know why stuff happens like that. I don't know why we lose people. I don't think anybody can stand up and preach and say, hey, Jesus probably did it because of this reason or that reason. Again, we're such dangerous territory to start saying that stuff. 
but our faith is in Jesus, right? He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. So if he's pinning my faith, I've got to put my trust in him. And not, I can't write stuff myself and interject. And No, he writes it. He perfects it. And so he goes to this little girl and he says, little girl, get up. He uses this Aramaic word. And when, they, when you read Aramaic in the Bible, the Aramaic was like the common language that people would speak, but it was often an oral language. And so when, when you would see it, it was like, oh, we were witnesses to what Jesus said. So that's why they would write it down in Aramaic. And it was like, he says, Talitha Kum, he says, little girl. Now, the words mean, it's like saying, hey, come on, sweetheart. It's time to get up now. That's, it's that level of affection. In the midst of loss and pain, Jesus is like, hey, come on, sweetheart. I don't know whatever that word is for you, whether it's to this or to that. But whatever makes you feel like, oh, man, they're so beautiful. Whatever that word is, I think that's what Jesus does for us. Hey, come on, sweetheart. It's time to get up now. It was so intimate and so affectionate and so moving. Even now you can feel, as I say, the words, you're like, that sounds really nice. This is, this is, this is the Holy Spirit's voice in our ear. Hey, come on, get up now. When you're there on Sunday morning, you've gone through so much stuff and you're like, I don't know if I can. It's like the Holy Spirit saying, hey, come on, sweetheart, come on. Come on, we can do this. We can turn up. Oh, but I'm not gonna know any. I've tried connecting in for weeks now and no one's there and I feel like, I gave it a shot and Jesus is like, no, come on, sweetheart, get up. Come on, I'll, I'll, he says, if no one else goes with you, I'll go with you. If you feel like there's no one else there, come on, the Holy Spirit's there. He's like, I'll go with you. We'll do this together. I'll leave you with this final story. There's a guy called Mitch Album. So there was a podcast I list, literally listened to last week and this guy, Mitch Album, is here and he, he's a writer. And he sat by, his, his ex-college professor was a guy called Maury Schwartz. And this guy, Maury Schwartz, was passing with terminal cancer. And he would sit by his bedside. And he, sorry, it wasn't cancer. He passed away from ALS. And you know when you visit someone who's really sick, and they turn it around and they go, oh, but how are you? And you're like, oh, don't worry about me. And they go, how are you? And you're like, oh, I'm fine, I guess. But how are you? And they turn it around and you walk away feeling more blessed because you're not the one that's sick. This was like this guy, Maury, and so he would walk away. And, and then he says, he says, no, if I, if I don't ask you how you are, he goes, I feel like I'm taking from you. And he goes, he made this quote, he says, taking makes me feel like I'm dying, but giving makes me feel like I'm living. So, so taking makes me feel like I'm dying. He goes, no, I've got, he knew he didn't have a lot of time left, but he didn't want to take, he wanted to be a giver because it made him feel like living. So, so Mitch Album gets really transformed by this and writes this mem memoir down and just thinks, wow, giving makes me feel like living. Then the Haiti earthquake happens a bunch of years ago, if you remember. And, and Haiti's still suffering now from the effects of that. Why? Because there's no money and basically no one cares, right? So this is what happens in the world, if you didn't know. And we sort of go on with our lives. And this is not to put a heavy, but this is just the nature of things. And Mitch flies down to Haiti. So he's made a lot of money from his books. He flies down to Haiti and... Sees a whole bunch of, just a lot of kids, were, like thousands of kids were orphaned. And so he just gets a bunch of kids together and says, we've got to do something. And so he starts his orphanage. And so for the last 13 years, every month, he's taken a bunch of mates down and they've gone and they've built an orphanage and they've started something. And this is kind of a photo of it. And so, so he does this. And so he starts his orphanage. And, and then there's a university 
in the States in Michigan called Hope University. And Hope University, another different story, the new vice chancellor of the university says, hey, wouldn't it be cool? He says, because one of, one of the trustees of the university says, hope should never cost anything. The name of the university was Hope. Hope should never cost anything. And he goes, man, hope should never cost anything. Because he was struggling why so many, and you guys would understand this, why we get our degrees and we get our qualifications and then we're massively burdened by debt. And in the universities in the US, of course, you, you pay fees, you pay tens of thousands a year. And then as you graduate, what do they do? They ask you for more money. Princeton University has a 60-something billion dollar endowment fund. They make $3 billion a year from just the investments of people that have given on top of their giving, on top of the fees that have already given. And so he sees this and he goes, Hope University, the vice chancellor, the new vice chancellor, he goes, why don't we charge nothing? And they go, I don't know. Because <laughs> like, you think straight away, the, all the accountants of the room are like, the business model, what? Like, but he goes, no, but what if we charge nothing? And then when they graduated, they decided to actually give. Because they go, we're so blessed by the vision of the school. It's a, it's a Christian university. Wouldn't it be cool to get people to give rather than make them pay? And wouldn't they, and they go and have jobs and earn money and they go, do you know what? This university changed my life. I was in a place where I couldn't give and I'm not saddled by debt. And now as a result of the blessing of that, I want to give. And so, so Mitch Album, Haiti Orphanage and Hope University, he sees this university and now he goes to some kids, hey, we don't have a lot of extra money, but there's a university that's free. And so just in the last year, four kids from the orphanage have now become part of Hope University. And I tell the story because I go, man, in the midst of pain, in the midst of horrendous situations, there's these little green shoots that pop up that we go, man, I would never, that would never have happened if something else had happened. Now, do we want earthquakes that, no, of course not. But in the midst of your pain and suffering, in the midst of everything that you're going through, we've got to believe there's a God that's working and there's a God that's using it. There's a God that's strengthening you because of it. Death can't be the end. Suffering and pain loss can't be the end. It can't be the final place. Why? Because we've got to breathe and we've got to strengthen ourselves so that we can help other people. So how about you stand to your feet if we can, because we're finished. And so Jesus does the same thing and he says, because there's this other pain, eh? there's, the, there's the pain that happens to us and there's the pain that happens within us. And, and Jesus talks about this. And the problem is the pain that happens within us is the pain that no one sees. It's the pain that means we come into church and we kind of put on our church faces and then we go home and we go, no one knows still what I'm going through. No one still knows the pain of insecurity or regret or whatever it is. And, and we don't want to make it feel like we're and not talking to that. And so maybe just a moment, I want you to close your eyes. And if, listen, if you, I guess there's two responses I want to do. If you're going through pain this morning, I'm not going to ask you down the front. It might cause more pain sometimes. Sometimes it's a good response, but not today. But just while eyes are closed and heads about, if you, if you feel like, yeah, Jake, when you talked about pain, all I want you to do, I want you to make a little response to God. I want you just to lift your hand. You don't have to lift it high. You just have to lift it to go, yep, there's some pain that I'm going through. If that's you, I just I want you to move and do something. Just lift your hand. Just, just keep it lifted. No one's looking. It's just you. Cool. Just keep it lifted. It's just this little prophetic statement that, yeah, there's this pain that I'm going through right now. Might be pain for you. Might be on behalf of somebody else. And now just keep your hand lifted. Now, if there's pain 
Now it's you that don't acknowledge your pain. And you're thinking like, man, yeah, the stuff that I'm going through, but not today. I want you to lift your hand. Because I know there's others here. This is between you and God. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. It's just sometimes healthy to acknowledge it. Better to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting. Cool. You can take your hands down. And so Holy Spirit, right now, where those that have lifted their hands, I thank you that they're here in the room today. I thank you that you're good, that you love them, that you're for them. And Holy Spirit, just through these words, would you do what only you can do in their worlds? You know them. You're a personal God. You love them. And Lord, just like the woman with the issue of blood, I feel like power right now would just go out and would meet people where they're at. I pray that you would know the comfort that only the Holy Spirit can bring. We see that pain this morning and we see that suffering and we acknowledge it even as a community of faith this morning. And Father, would you again remind Lord these saints this morning that you're in the boat with them, that you are close to the brokenhearted. May they know that though they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, they will fear no evil for you are with them. Your rod and your staff, they comfort them. Even though, Lord, you say you prepare a table in the presence of our enemies. Lord, there's joy and feasting in the midst of sorrow and sadness. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message recorded live at Equipus Church, Dunedin. We pray that it blessed you. For more information, please check out equipuschurch.com.